You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. I so... Hey. Hey. So, um... Hi. Poor Victoria. Please, uh... I have laryngitis, everybody. Well, it's so it good. goes. Uh, Happens to the best of us. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about my topic. So I, I'm, I'm going to put, I'm just, I'm just going to go right in. So there's this. Jump in. Let's do it. Yeah. So there's this thing in cartoons that I expected to see whenever I rolled in to like a small town. It, we're not talking about quicksand. We already talked about quicksand. So <laughs> that, was, that was my first thought when you said that. I was like, oh, my God, we're doing quicksand again. I OK, is something it an else anvil landing on your head How, and then you surviving. Pianos falling from the sky. Mm, no uh, coyotes on roller skates. Not quite that one either. But you guys are you, you're both getting high, a little high moon <laughs> shootouts. Uh, it, it's, so I always expected to see these whenever I rolled into a small town or even when I took my trip out through Wyoming. I didn't see these. And I was disappointed, but <gasps> tumbleweed. Yes, this week yes. I'm talking about tumbleweeds. Um, but all right, cool. Yeah, because like the iconic brambles of like twigs just blowing around on the road. I never really thought much about it until I did. Like I all of a sudden I started having. I well, that's that's true of, of of everything, Rachel. You don't think about it until you do. Well, yeah, but I I got sent this article. <laughs> about tumbleweeds and then i had so right. many questions um so we're gonna we're gonna build up to it so some of those were okay. like where are tumbleweeds where do they come from are they alive how do they form why are they only blowing across isolated and deserted towns how big do they get what is up with tumbleweeds so i had all of these questions right <laughs> first things let's do it that i learned was that there are actually several species of plant that create tumbleweeds uh, or tumbleweed-like oh, okay. things all over the world. I figured it was just one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. It's um, actually a seed dispersal method, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, huh, yeah. It's not just in America. It's all over the world, and they all have different looks and um, kind of different brambles and like tumbly looking tumbleweeds okay um gotcha and though it's a huge symbol in the west uh but the the really the big one that we the iconic tumbleweed that we all picture in our heads that was all over in cartoons and stuff was actually is right. something in westerns, called yeah. and in westerns is actually called the russian thistle which is oh really highly invasive <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, and was introduced in the 1870s to South Dakota. It was um, actually introduced Ooh. by accident. <laughs> um, oh, like like many things. Yep. Like like many things. Um, they think that it was uh, like 
mixed in the seeds were mixed into a bag of flax seed to someone who immigrated into oh sure south dakota sure. so that was a big thing where uh, people would bring their own seeds so they could mm-hmm. get their farm started exactly um so what is a tumbleweed so tumbleweeds are actually something called a diaspore which is a seed dispersal method of plants. And what happens is, or primarily, especially with the Russian thistle, um, is when they get mature and after they have like developed their seeds, if the wind is strong enough, which oftentimes it is because where these plants grow and ha- uh, like happen are in pretty arid parts of the country and parts of the world. Right. Um, they, once they dry out, quite literally the whole top, like the stem, everything from the roots just die off. And once they like die off, they break off and just start tumbling away. Now. Right. I mean, the, but the, in order for that to work, the plant has to be kind of spherical in shape. Yes. Generally speaking, yes, um, but it doesn't have to be um, because okay. as it's going around, as it's, uh, you know, being uh, pushed by the wind, branches tumbled. And, and tumbled, it is like we do with rocks. It's getting those dis- those random branches that are sticking out that don't help moving it. Those break off. Oh, okay. So it makes it a little so it bit. Achieves that was not something shape. I considered. Yeah, so it achieves that round shape. It doesn't just have it. Um, the living uh, gotcha. plant, the Russian thistle, the when it's alive, it actually has really beautiful, like reddish purple stems and these gorgeous flowers. Um, okay. But he, here's the thing: so it, when it snaps off at the roots and it blows away, uh, and it, it disperses seeds wherever it ends up tumbling. This is about 250,000 seeds per plant. Ooh. Oh, my. So wow. that's quite a few uh, quite a few seeds per plant. Um, Did you happen to come across any information about, like, the success rate of those seeds? Are they, like, the, like the germination rate? Do they... Are they 250,000 seeds, like 200,000 end up in new plants, or is it pretty low, or did you um, see that by chance? I didn't see that exact um, number, no. Okay. But I did, from the research that I was able to do, um, Russian thistle doesn't need a ton of precipitation, and actually because, uh, so it's called a diaspore, but what happens is Russian thistle, whenever it, like, um coincides with any sort of precipitation or water it actually will like swell mm-hmm. up and just stay rooted there and uh it, it all of a sudden that's a well not all of a sudden but it'll germinate and start a new plant there and start setting off root uh okay. and root shoots um and it's really good at um exploiting like disturbed land like you know uh agricultural fields overgrazed uh, right, rangeland yeah. road ditches road ditches um even like it, it's just very very good at what it does 
Now, here's a question. When you picture a tumbleweed, how how big are you expecting this to be? Because me personally, I'm thinking like little, like it comes up halfway through my like shin level of. Oh, I was picturing like three feet around probably. Right. So like 24 to 36 inches. Mm. So here's the thing about tumbleweeds. Um, one, they never really stop spreading, but they are really good at tangling together. So Rus- Russian thistle, okay, one Russian thistle, um, can be, I, I saw one that was up to six feet. Ooh, whoa. Uh, it, it really wow. truly depends. Um, that would like bowl you over. Yeah. So generally speaking, they're anywhere from like six inches to three feet tall. But some have even gotten to the size of like a Volkswagen Beetle. To the point where <laughs> there have been oh, oh my. multiple, multiple instances in the United States where... Uh, not only in like like the seventies, but recently, like twenty nineteen, twenty eighteen, there were so in on April eighteenth in twenty eighteen because there was so strong of winds, um, there was a a bunch of tumbleweeds that came into Victorville, California, and what ended up happening okay. is about a hundred. To 150 homes actually required help from public services to get out of their homes because the thistle, the tumbleweeds, quite literally um, made it impossible for them to get out of their house. My gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Because okay. it, because what happened was it, it quite literally, they all like, they all like compiled and kept piling up and yeah 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 those piles what was the number um it, it's i'll i'll send you a picture uh or i won't send you a picture right now but just okay sounds amazing i i can't i can't send you a picture right now obviously but um the there was a pretty widespread photo of two like fully grown adult men holding this giant thistle above their this giant tumbleweed above their heads because what was happening is these these um tumbleweeds had quite literally like buried some of the houses and they were at least partially blocked off and they couldn't get out because yeah they're they're wow. tumbleweeds and you think of them as being generally pretty light you got to remember that these plants are, they're plants, they're dead, but they're either large or they're all of the entire plant. And not only that, but they're, co- they're dense and they're covered in thorns. Ooh, I did not realize oh, they were thorny thorns. too. They're thorny plants. That's so unpleasant. it makes it a really hard for removal. Um, it just, Rachel, oh, Rachel, it sounds yeah. like a real thorny situation oh (laughs) sorry did i mention that i'm a dad i'm allowed (laughs) to make terrible jokes right okay yeah you are yeah you are 
Um, uh, just you know, if you don't use that <laughs> card, they take it away. So, oh, good. Just like your naturalist card. Um, right, right. We went over that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the thing is, not only does it require help, it did those instances require help from public services. It also like is a huge fire hazard because these places are very like arid. Oh yeah, and that was are, my first thought. Uh, was the fire. They're a huge fire hazard. So the fire department also helped uh, clean up the massive tumbleweed invasion. Um, wow. In, uh, oh, that this would have been this. So in uh, Washington uh, on December 31st in 2019, who uh, there were enough tumbleweeds and there with the high winds, uh, the tumbleweeds piled up. 15 to 20 feet deep in some areas. Uh, what? Yeah. Wow. They buried That's cars crazy. and trucks and they closed the Washington State Route 240 for 10 hours. Oh, man. <laughs> they used snow plows to remove the tumbleweeds. That is nuts. So, like, tumbleweeds are just insane and crazy but when i saw how big they could get and how much of an issue they are because they are like they're literally running around with the wind and it's a really smart dispersal method of seeds because you get really far away when you're using the wind you're literally tumbling around from your original like spot so it's really quite ingenious um of the of the plants to utilize that method but i didn't know that they could get that big (laughs) So I wanted to share yeah. uh, some of just the craziness that is uh, tumbleweeds. <laughs> um, well, well thank you. Yeah. Super cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, it'll be Victoria. Just a reminder to everybody that uh, this month we're asking everyone to share us with a friend. That's right. That's all we're asking. Just share us with a friend. If you're enjoying the show, go ahead and reach out to a friend and say, hey, have you heard of Strange by Nature? The more we grow, the more we can do. So we appreciate all of you. And we appreciate that this month, all month long, you are sharing us with a friend. So thanks for doing that. And uh, we'll get you back to the show. Hey, we're back. Uh, You're going to have to bear with my voice here. I'm hoping it's going to hold out for this entire segment, but we shall see. It's been a, it's been a rough few days in the throat of Victoria. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Victoria. (laughs) Well, yeah, poor Victoria. It, you know, we believe in you and we're here to support. I'm excited to hear what you have today. Well, you guys can't see what I have in front of me right now. I have uh, a mug, which has a ginger honey lemon concoction. in it. I have a glass of water and I have my cough drops all laid out. So oh, I'm, I'm going to just pop in that cough drop right now. How exciting. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get started. <clears throat> so when you're taught in school about the history of human beings, there's a kind of dividing line, right, between the prehistoric societies that existed before agriculture was invented. And then you learn agriculture started like maybe 10,000 years ago. Sure. Right sure. around right. when that last ice age was starting to end. Are pretty much done ending. Ah, uh, yeah. So that one. Yeah. So there's this Im- imaginary line, ten thousand years ago, at least in my head, 
so on the near side of that line, you, you got your crops, your domesticated animals, metallurgy, the development of civilizations, etc., leading finally to us. Right. Um, on the far side of that line, you have your small bands of hunter-gatherers running around hunting woolly mammoths with stone tools. Okay. I'm really right? intrigued to see I where mean, you're I, going. That, that, that is what I was taught. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course that line is a lie. Because right, the yeah. transition was <laughs> by no means abrupt. And of course, there are still some peoples in this world who live a more or less, you know, paleolithic, paleolithic lifestyle. Right. Yep. But I'm saying all this as background because just like, because that's my, my kind of schema, even if I know it's not exactly right. I still found it completely mind-blowing when I learned today's strange fact, Ooh, which okay. is that the last woolly mammoths... Oh. Only died in about 2000 BCE. Hold on. What? Well, okay. That the that the pyramids were done about 6000 BCE. Mm. Yep. <laughs> well, not quite that. Not quite what? that long, but. I I actually thought it. Yeah, I've I've heard there were some pockets of holdouts. Yeah. Okay. So just for, for comparison, a few, a few historical landmarks to, to place ourselves in time here. Wheat had been cultivated in Mesopotamia for about 6,000 years by that point. Okay. okay. Rice had been cultivated for about 3,500 years in China. Woven silk fabric had produced, been produced in China for about 700 years. Oh, man. Okay. The, uh, the pyramids of Egypt had been around for, it was 500 it was years. 500? Oh. Rachel, not... Yeah. Maybe I was thinking from now to back then. Never mind. Yeah. And if you remember learning about the Epic of Gilgamesh in school, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the oldest poem story sure. known. That had, the stories it was based on had already been written. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. You know, a long time ago, but not that long. Right. Uh, yeah. So these mammoths... <laughs> You know, most of the mammoths died off around 10,000 years ago. Uh, this around 8,000 BCE. And scientists still debate about which is more to blame, the changing climate mm -hmm. at the end of the Ice Age or the fact that people really like to hunt big, tasty animals, and sometimes they don't stop until they're all gone. I mean, it could right. be both. We're, bla we're bla be both. Basically, it's the, we're bl blaming barbecue. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Mammoth barbecue is probably delicious. I mean, yeah. Right? Especially Get some like mesquite wood in there and yeah. It's probably it was probably really like fatty too. So like you do it like a brisket or something. Mm-hmm. Mm <laughs> it turned into like a paleolithic <laughs> cooking show suddenly here. Mammoth brisket. Mm. I probably taste a bit like elephant, honestly, and I've never tasted <laughs> elephant, so I really can't comment. I don't want to taste elephant. No. no, nor I. Anyway. But, you know, my isolated populations of mammoths did still hang on in a few remote places. And the most remote place was on Wrangell Island. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's this starting what? to sound familiar. Yeah. There was Wrangell Island. Island. It's W-R-A-N-G-E-L, Wrangell. Okay. Um, that's where Wrangler so genes come from. Ah, good. It's no. a pretty large island. It's <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's, not. Uh, it's about 
It's about 7,600 square kilometers in size or 2,900 square miles. And it is located okay. uh, at the border of the Chuchki Sea, uh, which is north of the Bering Strait and the East Siberian Sea. So basically, it's north of the far eastern part of Siberia. Okay. And makes sense. You yeah. You know, cold. Yeah. <laughs> remote. Not easy to get to. Frozen north. Yes. Apparently, yeah, a small population of mammoths got trapped there by the rising seas at the end of the last ice age. Sure, mm. sure. Yeah. And they managed to hang on until they started dying off about 4,000 years ago, which perhaps not coincidentally was about the f- time that the first humans showed up on Wrangell Island, according to the archaeological okay. evidence. Ah. Yeah. Didn't help. Back to our barbecue hypothesis. Yes. Yeah. Um, some interesting genetic evidence about these mammoths was uncovered in 2017 hmm. uh, by a team of biologists from the University of North Carolina and Berkeley. And they actually had the DNA sequence of a 4,300-year-old mammoth <gasps> specimen, a single mammoth from Wrangell Island. It was extracted from some bone, I believe. That's so cool. Right. Yeah, it is really cool. And they compared it to um, another mammoth uh, from mainland Siberia that was 43,000 years old. Mm-hmm. So okay. an order of magnitude <clears throat> right. older. And also with a living Asian elephant. Right. Okay. Kind of to see what the genes do. What they might look like and how they might have changed. Yeah, change over yeah. time and all that. Yeah. yeah. Evolution. Lay it on us. What they find out? So, big surprise. Uh, it's going to be a shocker, guys. It turns out if you have a small population isolated for a very long time, inbreeding happens, yep. and you get genetic problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you really, you really <laughs> do. Yeah. Yeah. So Huge surprise. They compared several... <laughs> Headline news. Um <laughs> They compared several genes between the two mammoths, and they found that there were numerous mutations that would likely have made the Wrangell Island mammoths less fit. For example, some of the genes regulating their sense of smell and also the production of urinary proteins, which are, like I guess, used for marking territory, mm-hmm. were okay. not working. Ooh. Huh. So, yeah, likely the mammoths couldn't really smell very well and would have had a tough time communicating via scent markings, which is pretty key for most mammal species, I think, including elephants. Yeah. I wonder, though, if that's less important on an island than yeah, other maybe places. maybe use other perhaps uh, methods like, you know, sound. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a big island, but still. Yeah. yeah. Go on. Okay, this, this next one is really kind of freaky. Um, It also had a mutation in a single gene that's known as FOXQ1. And one of the things that gene controls is uh, the the, um, hair. So it produces something called a satin coat in mice and rabbits and other highly bred domestic animals. Yeah. No. So the the hairs, (laughs) they have an abnormal structure that makes them translucent and extra shiny. (laughs) So... So they were very luxurious woolly <laughs> mammoths. Yes. They're they shiny had these mammoths. Silky shiny <laughs> coats. Oh, oh my god. My gosh. <laughs> that really changes my perception. 
so they can't smell. They, they have this beautiful. Fabulous. Oh. <laughs> of course, it can also cause digestive problems, this gene, in mice at least. So, you know, possibly that they would have That must explain why my problems. hair looks so fabulous. Oh. <laughs> it could also be your conditioner. Um, <laughs> there was also a later study in 2020 of this same 4,300-year-old mammoth's DNA. Um, and they were looking at some other gene locations. And they, this other paper indicated that it had mutations that were associated with diabetes, uh, reduced male fertility, and developmental defects. None of that's good. Yeah, that, no. th- those things pose problems in a population that it is kind of small. What well, also poses problems when people are like, oh, we should just take this mammoth and clone it. It's like, well, it, it's maybe not the best represent- representative of the species, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pick a different mammoth. I mean, as as you're alluding to, it is the DNA of just one individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's there's some caveats about the conclusions we can draw from this. On the other hand, sure, sure. scientists are pretty certain that this population was extremely isolated for thousands of years, and so you know, it's it's extremely likely that these mutations were pretty representative. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's this the population general, at that point. There's this general idea in science that. If you're going to find just one of something, the odds are not that you're going to find the abnormality, right? right? Yeah. So it's like it's sort of an Occam's razor type situ- uh, situation too, where it's like, what's more likely that the one you found happened to be different than all the rest mm-hmm. or that the one you found is representative of the majority? It's like, it's way more likely that it was representative of you know, the majority. Yeah. It's not some completely, you know, random fringe case. Once in a while that can happen, but the odds are not in your favor. Yeah. Well, to, uh, to kind of wrap this up, you know, it's possible that these mammoths were at least partially hunted to death in the end, but yeah, it seems like they were on a, on a long decline anyway. So who knows how much longer they would have lasted really. And Honestly, probably their uh, their deficits may have made them more vulnerable to hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, everyone wanted those end. beautiful shiny coats. Yeah, oh. they would have had some really nice uh, mammoth fur accoutrement. Oh. Those hunters, mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, I <laughs> I drew on a couple of papers uh, for this episode. One is from. PLOS Genetics from March 2017. It's called Excess of Genomic Defects in a Woolly Mammoth on Wrangell Island. And the other is from Genome Biology and Evolution from March 2020. Functional Architecture of Deleterious Genetic Variants in the Genome of a Wrangell Island Mammoth. There we go. So if you want to read more, check out those papers. Some light All right, we are going to take an... Yes. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, it will be Kirk. Our listeners are going to need uh, some help this week for my segment. Uh, They're going to need the two of you to be their eyes. So I have a photo for you, and I want you both to uh, react to this photo and also describe the creature it shows. Are you ready? All right, here it goes. Oh, yeah. All right. Pulling it up. Oh, it looks like, um, okay, here's what it looks like. 
It looks like a cartoon sheep. Actually, it looks like, you know, those um, like the Wallace uh-huh. and Gromit yeah, yeah, yeah. guy who you're, does you're right. stop motion animation. It looks like a sheep like, made by that guy. It looks like it Sean looks the, like the Sheep. Thank you. Yeah, Sean the Sheep. Just the face. But then he has long it, purple ears sticking out to the side and his entire body is covered by... Is like... Gr- it looks like a little tiny cactus, yeah. to, like uh-huh. cacti, just like poking out of this sheep's body, like a bright, bright, like green, the most green thing Tipped with, with little magenta, couple, like ends. And it's a color that ad- doesn't exist. Adorable. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's super cute. It looks, is, is this a micro so or what, what you're is looking this? at is called, Cause it, it looks like a cartoon. Yeah. What you're looking at is called a leaf sheep. Uh, it lives in the ocean, <laughs> and it's actually aptly named. Uh, exactly, it's a type of sea slug. Uh, now, I, I think we often <gasps> don't think of Yay! slugs as being all that cute, but oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, I do. This is like one of the cutest it's things so I've cute. ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it's adorable. And as you pointed out, uh, Victoria, uh-huh. it does look like Sean the sheep. And so, if anyone is familiar with the claymation created by the Wallace and Gromit folks over at Ardman Animation, oh, uh, it does look like something they so would good. have made. Uh, maybe something, some sort of hijinks that Sean that Sean got uh, mixed up in there. And apparently, you know, his, all of his wool got dyed and spiked. Right. We're not the only ones to think that. Uh, kind of Sean the sheep has become a bit of an uh, unofficial name for this creature uh, when divers <laughs> find them in the ocean. So many people yes. have had that thought. Uh, <laughs> this animal was actually first discovered fairly recently. It was back in 1993 uh, off the coast of uh, Kurushima oh, wow. Island in Japan. And Kurushima means black island. But I was crushed to discover that the major economic industry on the island is actually cattle farming or ranching because I oh. really wanted it to oh. be sheep. You know, that would have just been like, <laughs> Such a perfect thing. Missed opportunity. Uh, apparently, sometimes it's called the island of cows, uh, but it, I think they're maybe missing a major Ugh. opportunity to rebrand the island uh, around the leaf sheep. Mm-hmm. So as cute as these critters are, uh, I, and I guess as strange as they look, we got some standards here on the podcast, right? This is strange by nature, not cute by nature, or mildly interesting by nature, correct? So we got to find out what's strange about this exactly. cute little critter. Let's talk about those weird... Because it, it can't just be it looks weird. It has to be more than Right, because the listeners can't see it. Although, oh my gosh, if you are not driving right now, pull up a picture of a leaf sheep and just prepare for cute... It'll be cute on our Instagram. Right. Go over to our Instagram, check it out. So if you... I want to talk about those weird green leaf-like things on their back. So... I've seen that compared to like little mm-hmm. miniature aloe leaves. And I'm like, hmm, maybe, or yeah, maybe like the, that. the leaves of um, mm-hmm. goat tail succulent. Have you ever seen those before? Kind of yep. looks like that. Yep. I think that makes sense. So first off, I guess we need to explain they aren't leaves. Uh, they are actually part of the animal's body and they're called uh, cer- serata. And you'd be forgiven okay. for mistaking them for leaves because they are green. And then they are like, super green because they actually contain so green chlorophyll just like leaves what yeah that's crazy so this is super strange I was looking at it and it's, uh, oh the 
the picture that you sent, not only it was like sitting on like maybe like a bed of algae or whatever. And uh-huh. I'm like, those are the same greens. Right. What? Well, they have chlorophyll? I was looking That's at the crazy. little leaves, quote unquote leaves. Uh-huh. And they have a kind of a granular appearance. And before you told me what uh-huh. it was, I was like thinking that maybe they were chloroplasts inside the tentacly things. Oh. Oh, were you? Well, as That's we know, so animals... Cool. Or as we think we know, right? Animals cannot make chlorophyll, uh, but they clearly have it. So where did it come from? And what's truly bizarre about the leaf mm-hmm. sheep is that, that they practice something called kleptoplasty. And that's the stealing Ooh. of plastids. And in this case, chloroplasts from plants uh. that they then uh. incorporate into their body. <laughs> so you are both spot on, uh, you know, the green color of the algae that it's sitting on is the exact same green of the creature because it's the exact same stuff. It is the chloroplast from their food. <laughs> so for those of you who are sleeping, so cool. if you're sleeping in bio class, I just want to go over chloroplasts are the little organelles in plants that contain chlorophyll, a.k.a. the green stuff that makes photosynthesis possible. So the leaf sheep feed on fuzzy algae growing on the ocean floor, uh, basically like near coral reefs. And when they eat the algae, mm-hmm. they actually ingest the chloroplasts from the algae and incorporate them into their body. And that's what we're seeing, which is that's amazing. <laughs> that's so, so amazing. amazing. That's so cool. Now, taking these chloroplasts uh. has advantages. So first of all, uh, it makes you the exact same color as your food source. So that gives you some pretty amazing yeah. camouflage. I mean, nothing's any better camouflage than looking just like your food, right? Like a plant. Yeah. So yeah. that's, from an evolutionary standpoint, that's probably reason enough to do it right there. But more than that, mm-hmm. the leaf sheep can actually use the chloroplasts. They are nice. solar <gasps> powered. Well, I want to be a solar powered leaf sheep. At least partially. At least partially. Uh, I actually had a really hard time finding any sources that were able to determine, like, how long could they survive on just solar power, or what was the percentage of their metabolic energy that can be derived from the chloroplasts. But apparently, it's a non-zero percentage. There were many, many science articles out there on the web that talked about this, and this is actually problematic because uh, many of them use phrases like yeah. months or several months or a couple months, mm. two months, and not a single... Not exact not a, Well, and I'm okay with that, but not a single one of them included a verifiable scientific reference. And I started to kind of feel Ooh. an awful lot like the authors were pretty much just copying each other's homework in class uh, without actually, Mm -hmm. you know, doing their own background reading. They're like, oh, this other, you know, website said a couple months, so we'll say two months. And they're like, oh, well, I don't want to copy that, so I'll just say months, you know. So I I do want to point out that I did Mm -hmm. not find an actual source that would give me an actual, um, like, citation on how long they could do that. But apparently they are able to actually use some of the energy to survive. So I'm a little dubious saying anything other than the fact that they get some non-zero energy benefit. We'll leave it at that. Um, Unless one of our awesome listeners can dig up a scientific paper and send it my way, I will definitely give you a shout out on the show. If you are successful, that's 
contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. Do definitely, if you find that, uh, send it to us and we'll mention you on the show. I can say that their entire lifespan is only about six months. So they're not real long lived either way. Mm. Now, question time. Looking at the photos, mm-hmm. how big would you imagine these creatures are? Oh, quite small. They, yeah, I would imagine maybe like three or four centimeters. I don't okay. know. You mentioned that you mentioned that divers could see them and they oh, spotted yeah. yep. them. So they they have to be they have to be more than. Like the picture you sent made it seem like it was a like a microbe or like oh. even smaller. Okay. But the fact that the fact or like not necessarily micro, but like really, really, really small. Mm-hmm. I'd say. But I feel like you're gonna say like they're a couple inches. I think well, one centimeter max. One centimeter max. So you know when I was looking at when I first saw them, my reaction was. Actually, different. I was thinking, oh, they might be like the size of the palm of your hand or like a little, you know, maybe a, a two or three inches or something like that. Um, I mm-hmm. was way off. You guys are closer, but still too big. They are only about seven Ooh. to eight millimeters at their largest. Oh, they're so tiny. So less than a centimeter. So I was they pretty are, close. Yeah, you were very close. They're very yeah. tiny. And this makes sense when you think about like the photosynthesis bit. Uh, one of the reasons animals do mm-hmm. not use photosynthesis is that it doesn't provide enough energy, right? I mean, I think we've all maybe dreamt of being like, oh, right. I just wish I could lay out in the sun, get all my energy for the day or whatnot. But there's just no way we could have yes. the surface area to generate enough energy for us to do really anything, anything. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Being so small, though, the energy needs... Yeah. Lots yeah. of leaves, right? Lots of leaves. Yeah. So being so small, the energy needs of the slug are much less. And the photosynthesis can actually provide some sort of tangible benefit. Again, though, to be clear, they are likely getting most of their energy from the eating of the algae. And this is sort of a secondary you mm-hmm. know, source of energy. Uh, they are small, but in theory, you could go looking for some if you know where to look. Uh, they are actually fairly widespread. Now that we know what to look for, they've been seen in more places than just that one island in Japan. Uh, they've also been identified in Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Papua New Guinea, Thailand, uh, Singapore, as far east as the Solomon Islands. Uh, so quite a, a, a large oh. uh, area, really. And uh, I, that's, so that's cool. what I got. I just wanted to introduced this incredibly cute miniature solar powered animal uh it's the so leaf cool. sheet so uh my sources this week uh were uh, uniguide bbc and wikipedia honestly this picture made my day oh good oh this is so cute <laughs> uh, thanks Kurt. you are welcome <laughs> and thanks to everybody for tuning in this week we'll see you next week Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. 
If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.